0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Persevering in Hope. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Remaining Strong.
1: Every one of us has moments when our courage fails us when we have this overwhelming feeling that we just can't go on. We face more difficulties than we can imagine. Everything hits us at the same time, and we feel that we're staggering under a heavy load. The Bible tells the story of a man named Job. Just his name, Job, reminds us of pressure and suffering. Job faced a crisis. In fact, it was so severe that he went from being the wealthiest man in the world to being penniless. Then every one of his children died in a freak storm. His marriage was severely stressed. He and his wife were in conflict. Then he lost his health. And finally, his friends turned against him. People who respected him in the past now mocked him. And so he suffered a loss of status. The Bible records him as saying that he simply wanted to die. His courage failed him. He he couldn't face the world anymore. You know, some of you listening right now are facing the biggest pressures of your life. And you're wondering if you can go on. Listen to the story of the Thessalonian Christians. When Paul wrote the second letter to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica, he knew they were facing genuine pressures. Persecution against this small church was continuing. We're not told what kind of persecution they were facing. Perhaps people were boycotting their businesses now that they were Christians. Perhaps they were being thrown into prison. Perhaps their children were being threatened. So Paul reminded them that Jesus was coming back one day, and in that day, they would be comforted. But the Thessalonians might have felt that when when he told them that a man of lawlessness was coming, perhaps they might have thought, you know, he's only adding to their stress, not taking it away. That is, Paul was saying, before things get better, they're going to get a great deal worse. Years earlier, when the prophet Daniel learned about the man of lawlessness, the Bible tells us that he was appalled. One can only imagine how the Thessalonians felt. But Paul wants to reassure them that that hearing about the approaching day of evil did not have to increase the pressure they felt today. So Paul writes 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-17 to reassure them of God's love for them and to give them the encouragement that they could stand strong regardless of what they faced. Every once in a while, we face similar pressure. We need to be reassured that God still loves us. And we need to be encouraged that it's possible to remain strong. God can build a kind of toughness inside of us that will give us enough strength to face whatever we're facing today. But how can we be reassured of this when, when facing the pressures and stresses of life? So from our passage today, the answer seems to be that God has chosen us for himself. You know, if you've surrendered your life into the hands of Jesus, then know that God the Father has chosen you. And this choosing directs our hearts into his love, where we know that we are accepted and gives us Christ's perseverance. So let's read our text, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, from this passage, let me share three important principles that will help you remain strong, regardless of the pressures you're facing. So here's the first one. Be reassured of your identity. And one of the first things that happens when someone's facing intense pressure is that they begin to doubt themselves. Pressures can take away our confidence. If you suddenly lose your health, you might wonder whether you still have worth. What am I good for? What can I contribute? If you've been fired from your job, you might begin to doubt that that you've ever really contributed to anything at all. And if your spouse dies, you might wonder who you are without him or her. So you lose a sense of identity, and pressure and suffering does that. See, I have no doubt that Thessalonian believers faced these questions. They were being persecuted, so it must have seemed that the entire world was now against them people that may have loved and respected them in the past now began to look on them as if they were enemies. Then hearing of the coming of the Antichrist, they were told that, you know, one day the whole earth is going to be against them. And then Paul told them another truth. The Antichrist was the man destined to destruction, but they were the people chosen by God, destined for glory. Be reassured, he says, you've been chosen by God, but but chosen by God for what? So look again at verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. There are some disagreements among the translators of this passage as to you know, whether or not Paul means they were the first group to be saved in that city or that God already saved them from the beginning of time. See, one thing's certain. Our salvation is not an accident. Ephesians 1.4 says all believers that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So behind this language is a very simple truth. If you know Christ today, it wasn't an accident. I want you to imagine the time before anything existed. There's, There's the only one solitary God forever existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when God planned the creation, he did not plan it only having a rough idea of how things would turn out. He planned it for a very specific purpose, and he knew how all the details of his creation would be an expression of his joy. God knew long before there was that first explosion of light that there would be a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. He knew of their first act of rebellion. He knew of the tragedy of their sin and the death that would follow in its wake. But God knew more than that. He knew of your existence before the beginning of time. He foreknew and determined the day of your salvation. It was always God's set plan that you would humble yourself before him and surrender your life into the hands of Christ and then learn to submit yourself to his will, and then live forever in a relationship of eternal joy in his presence. And that's who you are. Now, I notice something else that's here in this statement in verse 13. It says that we were saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So, so what does that mean? Well, this word sanctify, it means to be made holy. It essentially means to be pure and to be set apart from the ordinary. And this was done by the action of the Holy Spirit. He has lifted you out of the mundane and you are set aside for God. You know, tell me something. How can you ever view yourself in the same manner after you hear that? The Holy Spirit has taken you and removed all the impurities of this world and your own sin from you, and he's given you an obedient heart of love for Christ. So in effect, you no longer belong here. You belong to the pure and undefiled courts of heaven. That is your rightful place. You're just a misplaced citizen for the time being. And so when you face pressure and disappointment and pain or anything else in this earth, you should remember this. A number of words might describe you, but ordinary, that's no description of you at all. Neither is failure nor not important or not useful. Instead, God chose you to be saved. You know, Paul also said that this came by faith. And that phrase used here is belief in the truth. The truth is, you know, God loves me. The truth is that Christ was sent to be the atoning sacrifice for my sin. Look again at verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That verse almost seems impossible. Look at it this way. In Romans 3, verse 3, Paul tells us that all humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. But if you've been chosen by God, your sin is not the defining mark of your life. Philippians 3, 20 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. One day your body will be raised to be like Jesus. It will never again be subject to weakness. It will share all the glories of his body. But that's not all. Romans 8, 17 says, But if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That, quite frankly, means that all that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us, with the exception of his deity. And behind that language is the language of inheriting the riches of heaven.
0: Do you want some encouragement as you grow in faith? Well, we can help. Our beautiful Back to the Bible Canada 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar is available to you free of charge during the month of October. All you need to do is visit us at backtothebible.ca or request your copy by calling 1-800-663-2425. And wait, there's more. To help us help more people find hope in Jesus and discover the Word of God, A few generous ministry friends across the country have provided us with a $50,000 matching donation for the month of October. That means for every dollar you give this month, it will be doubled dollar for dollar up to $50,000. To give a gift, become a monthly partner, or request your free 2021 Scripture Wall Calendar, visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.
1: Perhaps you're not aware of how rich you actually are. You know, every once in a while I love to tell someone that I could purchase anything I wanted, but all my wealth is currently tied up in a secure investment. So how much do I have? Everything that Christ, the maker of all things, owns is mine as well. The world to come is mine. Eternal glory is mine. The body that won't get sick, that's mine. Unspeakable joy without a hint of sadness is mine. So how much do I own? Well, you add it up. I can't count that high. Can you now see how you can face earth's trials today? You know, someone might say, well, I think I understand, but, you know, when I get home after a long day or when I go to work in the morning, I'm so prone to forgetting. The pressures and problems hit me and I'm sucked back into the vortex of my problems. And if that's how you feel, let me share with you the secret of always being reassured of your identity. And so, you know, I've said first that we must know our identity, and then second, we have to live within that reassurance. You can't just visit your identity in Christ on Sundays. You must learn to live within that reality every single day of your life. And when you face pressures, you've got to lean harder on your heavenly calling and think about yourself constantly in terms of who you are in Christ. And I know someone's going to say, well, how can I do that? Well, look at verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So the first thing to remember is stand firm. You've got to remember that the Thessalonians, you know, this had a special meaning. Not only were they being persecuted, but Also, certain false doctrines about the Lord's return had begun to surface in the church. Some of them had become unsettled. They'd become alarmed. They were terrified. A rumor had surfaced that the day of the Lord had already come, and perhaps they thought, you know, God has forgotten them in their persecutions. Some of them began to panic. You know, perhaps all is lost. Perhaps none of the promises of God were for them specifically. Other people were inheriting them, but they were being passed by. And Paul responds by saying, look, stand firm. Nothing in the present situation changes your standing in Christ. I'm always amazed at how easy it is to panic when something bad happens. We begin to imagine the worst of all possible scenarios. You know, someone feels pressure at work and they begin to imagine, I'm probably going to be fired and I'm probably never going to get another job again. And I'm going to probably live on welfare And and maybe welfare is going to reject me, and I'm going to end up in a downtown city somewhere, penniless and homeless and sick, and and that will probably be the worst winter in history. There's an old saying that says, you know, if you can keep your head while everyone else is losing theirs, chances are you don't understand the situation. And (laughs) some of us live by that motto. We panic in order to prove that we understand how truly bad that situation has become. I think it's a mark of a believer that we don't become overly excited in the uncertainties, pressures, and tragedies of life. We remember that there are some unchangeable things. God has chosen me. I'm set apart for the purpose of sharing in the glory of Jesus. If that's true, we must stand firm. But still, someone might say, well, how do I do that? And here's the answer. Hold to the teachings of Scripture. Look again at verse 15, hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Let me ask you this question. How well do you know your Bible? Many years ago, and I was still in my 20s, that's a lot of years ago, I made a commitment that I would at very minimum read through the Bible every year. Over the years, I've come to realize that my thought systems have been altered year after year as I have come into an deepened relationship with this book. Let me give you an illustration. When Kathy and I were first engaged, I was living some 300 kilometers away from her. And I visited her every week for 13 months. Let me tell you, I came to know every tree and rock along that road. I knew every turn and pothole in that road. I traveled that road so often that I could see it in my sleep. I've taken the same attitude toward the scripture. And so should you. The Scripture is that road that leads me to God. I love traveling it because I find the love of God when I do. I've come to notice the places, the people, the events, and the lessons I should learn. I've known what happened at Mount Carmel, how King Josiah changed his nation, why King Rehoboam was a fool. I've wept with David in the Psalms, and I've wondered with Solomon before the fountain of wisdom. I've marveled at the prophetic insights of Isaiah. I've traced the three missionary journeys of Paul. I find myself excited about how the gospel might advance today, what the church should look like. And above all, I've studied the life of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and trusted in his cross. I've realized that Jesus not only brought me the word of God, but that he also brought me the word of God clothed in human flesh. And one of the reasons why the Thessalonians had become panicky and unsettled about the future is that they had allowed themselves to be misled by unreliable information. Instead of sticking to what they had been taught by Paul, they were becoming alarmed by unsubstantiated prophecies and stories. Anyone could feed them a false rumor and then they'd panic. This is relevant for us today. See, I'm always amazed at how many different study Bibles are available to us. You know, attached to that are endless books to help us understand what we're reading, including maps, Bible dictionaries, commentaries, Greek and Hebrew word studies for people who don't know Greek and Hebrew, and a vast array of software programs, internet helps. But in spite of all of this, it would seem that many Christians know more about movies and sports and cars and entertainers and computers and politics than they know about this book. What good is this book if you don't study it? What good is this book if when facing a moment of uncertainty and pressure, you don't know how its wisdom can change your life? See, every one of us should know how to apply this book into our daily experience, you know, quoting chapter and verse. So when you're lonely or anxious, when you're afraid, when you're angry, what should you do? Learn this book and you'll be reassured about who you are. And you'll know how to stand firm. So, Paul has told the Thessalonians to be reassured about their identity, and he's told them now how to live in that reassurance. And then, third, he wants prayer to be a vital part of their lives. You'll notice that in verses 16 and 17, Paul's praying for the Thessalonians. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word." You now, the heart of Paul's prayer is the assurance that the Thessalonian believers are loved by God, and from that, we need to see the same. Behind all of this is a reminder. Praying people are strong people. Prayer is the answer to everything, because God is the answer to everything. In our prayers, we're spending time with Him, who not only knows the answers, but we go to the one who has meticulously designed the days in which we live for his good purposes. So let me encourage you, pray about everything. I have no resources for the present situation, we might say, but God has every resource for every situation. So pray, pray, pray. Prayer is a very effective source of reassurance. So what do we pray for? Well, notice that the request Paul is making is that God would comfort their hearts, that is, give them a deep sense of settled peace in the midst of the storm. See, that's a gift. Remember, I started by quoting that funny saying that you know, if you can keep your head while everyone else is losing theirs, you, you probably don't understand the situation. But now let me suggest that if God settles your heart, you can understand the situation with clarity and keep your head while everyone's losing theirs. Notice also that Paul prays that God would establish them in every good work and word. See, they were establishing a church in Thessalonica. They were reaching out to the lost, and Paul prays, you know, God, make their plans happen. But should we think these prayers are going to be answered? Yeah, they're going to be answered because when we pray this way, we're praying to the Father and to the Son who, says Paul, who loves us and gives us promises that will be completed in eternity and who made many promises to us, and all as a result of grace. Since this is the God we address, how can these prayers not be heard and answered? So for those three reasons, that we can be assured of our identity, that we can live in that assurance, and that the great and loving God answers our prayers in the affirmative, well, we can remain strong regardless of the pressures we face.
0: Thanks, John. Let me ask you this. Do you think your teaching on the end time should promote our anxiety or do you think it should calm our fears? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, there is
1: reason to be anxious. If you put your hope in this world, let me give you all the reason in the world. Feel more anxiety, please. If you trust that this world will give you what you hope for, I promise you, you will be wrong this world will turn out to be more profoundly evil than you had ever imagined. So I need to say that. Uh, At the same time, there is great hope because God has not abandoned us. He's given us a son so that we might be saved. So, you know, I wanna give you the greatest hope in the world and the reason for optimism, but if it is in the wrong place, have no optimism at all. So yes, anxiety for some, but great hope for others. That's the message.
0: Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Persevering in Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. Do you want a daily reminder that will help you grow in your faith? Well, we can help. Our beautiful Back to the Bible Canada 2021 Growing in Faith Scripture Calendar is now available to you free of charge. This calendar reminds us of so many things. It reminds us of the beauty of God's creation, the beauty of God's Word, and it reminds us to spend time in the Bible every day. A uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Neufeld is placed within the calendar, encouraging all of us to open up our Bibles. Use your calendar as a daily reminder to practice the discipline of reading God's Word. This resource is filled with encouragement, and it's yours for free. Request your copy today, and perhaps consider a gracious gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.